and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball. That's the podcast where I, Fox Lee, she, her, and I, Talon Lee, he, him, watch the entirety of the Disney Animated Canon all in a row. Yep. It's a fun little project. We started at one point during a quarantine that we thought would last eh, a couple of weeks. <laughs> and here we are in year two of the podcast. <laughs> they made a lot of movies. Yep. The good news is, it's a brand new season, it's a brand new era, and the movies are gonna stop sucking! At least this one does. Kind of. Because in this episode, we are talking about 2009's The Princess and the Frog. Disney's triumphant return to traditional animation. For now. It's a... it's a return. But before we can start talking about this movie... We must first summarize the plot in 60 seconds. And you know what? What? It's my turn. Oh, it's you. Hey! All right. Sweet. All right. Well, you all know Talon's done his homework. So all he needs is for me to say, your time starts now. A young black woman who works very hard named Tiana winds up at a fancy party where a frog asks her to kiss him to break a curse on him. It turns her into a frog too and the pair have to go on an adventure to break the curse on him and prevent the machinations of an evil shadow man that led to the curse in the first place. They're told they have to dig a little deeper and work out what they really need. There's a sequence of third act fake outs where the pair break up, then don't, the villain will win, then he won't, then the curse will be broken, then it won't, and a heroic firefly dies and has a funeral. That it all works out because of the inherent and non-transferable power of monarchy. Death to kings. <laughs> Interesting take. Yeah, so, uh, had you seen this movie before, Fox? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, I, not I, in a theatre. Yeah, and I also had seen this movie before, but w- with many of these movies, if you've seen it, it's been on the house where I've seen it as well. <laughs> yeah, there's probably no point asking ourselves this question by now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, what did you think of it? Any Anything for the double take? Uh, nothing for the double take. Uh, this, it, the time has not been distant enough uh, for my perceptions to have significantly changed since the first time I saw this. That's probably going to be the case from here on in, I think. Perhaps we dump it for this season. It seems like a wise thing in this case. I have a drop of double take, though, in this oh, one. Oh, sure. Well, by all means, please drop your double take. In this case, this movie is old enough that I had primarily seen it mentioned in other media crit about Disney stuff and almost never directly addressed. It was usually, oh, hey, Disney did do this and they did this kind of thing, often in conversations around Moana, where it was like, hey, why haven't Disney done Princesses of Color before, aside from the one they did that everyone ignores because people are racist? (laughs) And this led to a sort of coagulation in my mind that, Disney went back to do traditional animation with a black girl and it all went wrong because people are racist and this movie bombed and it was terrible and it wasn't actually very good and it was kind of patronizing and condescending. And like, don't get me wrong, I have problems with this movie. I have mixed feelings. But over the time since I saw it and because of the way it has never been directly mentioned or explored by that media criticism space, I kind of just had a coagulated image in my mind of it as being a bit crap. And that's not fair or reasonable. So on review, this movie this movie has failings that are all its own. And it has <laughs> problems. But also it has a joy and a life that I had completely forgotten. <laughs> no, you're very much describing my feelings about this movie. Like, it's it's got problems and I have problems with it. 
but it's definitely not a bit crap. Like, its failings are nothing to do with just being a bad version of what it is, or people didn't care enough or anything like that. It's it's here to have a good time, and it's definitely having a good time. Shall we, if we're going to talk about those problems, move on to swing open the yikes door? Hmm, this is going to be another Yikes Store segment where we just sort of step aside for a lot of this stuff, right? Because we're not qualified to judge whether the... uh, We're not qualified to judge whether a lot of what we're seeing in this is stereotypes or just relatable uh, ideas from a culture that's not ours. Yeah, there there is definitely a lot of stuff here which I wouldn't bother commenting on, um... But the good news is there's plenty of yikes around here about the white people. <laughs> For example, this movie is really shitty to fat people. It, it, yeah, this is one of the problems I have with it. It's, um, like, it has some fat people that it's not shitty to, but, uh, it, it generally definitely finds its fat people to be objects of comedy for fatness. Mm-hmm. Part of what's good about this movie is that this is clearly animators having a fantastic time. Oh my god, yes. With character animation like they used to. It feels so good to to see some of these characters and some of the weird stylized stuff they got to do and it's just it's a visual treat from start to finish. Uh but part of that is some good old Disney bulging asses and tummies and and just Fat people are generally gross and babies. Yeah, and when they want to demonstrate something as being infantile, they play up the ways that it is fat. The Lottie's dresses that make her bigger and fatter are used as contrast for her childish behavior. Louis is only threatening when he is in a way when he moves in a way that doesn't emphasize his fatness. It you know. Yeah, as soon as he pops up out of the water, you're like. Oh, this one's, like, plump, and mm-hmm. that translates to non-threatening for some reason. There is the obligatory mention of voodoo, which is largely something Catholics invented. Uh, I mm, I feel like that's a more nuanced portrayal, because we have at least both sides of this thing, and to some degree both of those are authentic. And I'm not qualified to judge to what degree. Because mm. I am so distant from this shit. It's true, it's true. Uh, in my case, it's just as a byproduct of that whole cult hunting, witch hunting background that I know a lot of stuff, quote unquote, about voodoo, end quote, that's really just recycled Catholic myths about Catholic saints. But what if black people did them? <laughs> the, um... The, the reliance on voodoo and the structuring of voodoo is just, it's a little weird and I understand it's not referred to by practitioners as voodoo. The thing that people think of as voodoo, it's it's kind of like the theme park version of an actual religious system. And uh, yeah, so uh, just mentioning that, drawing a box around it, pushing it away and not trying to do deeper comments on a religion I do not partake in. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Uh... Tiana's mother going, I want grandchildren. As a millennial, F you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just mums doing mum things, but doesn't make me real comfy either. 
When your daughter is outlining to you the amazing achievement and all the hard right? work she has done, and your response is, but I want grandchildren, get in the sack, mum. Imagine being in your 20s <laughs> and as as a black woman of hard-working but obviously not well-off background to be looking at being a business owner purely on the back of your own hard fucking work <laughs> and to have your mom go, well, that's all well and good, but what actually matters is that you marry someone. Yeah. <sighs> that's just real. Well, now we're just yikestoring the main issue with this movie, so. Mm. Eh. One, and my other yikes note is that Dig a Little Deeper is super condescending and Protestant. <laughs> ah, your money won't make you happy because you weren't happy when you were rich. Yeah, he was. He very obviously was happy. It does seem like he was pretty happy, yeah. We, we have no sign whatsoever that he is anything but happy. He values freedom and having fun. And the fact that he values freedom and having fun is seen by this movie as inherent proof that he isn't actually happy. It's so Calvinist, it hurts. Right, the actual problem with Naveem isn't that what he was doing wasn't making him happy. The problem with Naveem is that what he was doing was making everyone else around him unhappy because he was a selfish git. Yeah, he was doing things at other people's expense. Yeah. But consider how how happy he was to drift down the river playing music. Yeah. That's... That's a totally reasonable thing to do with yourself. No, gotta make money. And they even frame it as a gospel song? They do, yeah, I... Um, Complete with revival singers. <laughs> that's that's the bit of it that makes me very like, hmm, because I'm extremely trapped between deeply disliking things that have overt religious overtones. And also understanding that this is a super important part of black American culture. And I can't just go, ugh. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. You can absolutely go, ugh, at any church. Yeah, but it, th there's a fine line here. Mm-hmm. This is... You know, like the atheists who spend their time disproportionately bitching about Islam for no particular reason. Yeah, not those people. But I think we've made it clear where our particular beefs are focused. <laughs> Even if neither of us have any love or appreciation for religion in general, we do keep in our lane as far as the specifics go. Well, I get a yikes if you're all out. Not quite, but go on. Uh, were you going to bring up the, the, the time period necessitates that the tremendous wealth of, <laughs> of our, our beloved town nice white guy who seems to mostly be known as Big Daddy is almost certainly built on the backs of slaves. There's an asterisk there. There is? New Orleans has a special and complicated history when it comes to race and slavery because it had black landowners. It did? traded with white slaveholders. Oh, God. <laughs> it's all extremely complicated. I do not dare to say that I know the know the ups and downs of it, but suffice to say, that is an area where there may well be quite a yike. But I would ask 
researchers in the area okay. to uncover it. So it may also be less yikes than, than it would initially appear. Maybe, but also he's a great big fat rich guy surrounded by poor black people who are all happy to see him, like, drifting Remora behind a shark. So, like, I'm not wild about what they do with him in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Poor John yeah. Goodman. He just keeps on showing up in roles that no matter how good they may be, still make me go, eh. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're going to put, put him in the potential yikes basket. On the note of potential yikes, yeah. there is a hidden secret extra yikes lurking over there in the animation and making section. Oh. Oh, is that where we're going now? Because I, I think that's all my yikes. All right. Voice actors. We have Anika Noni Rose as Tiana. We have Bruno Campos as Prince Naveen. Bruno Campos is American Brazilian. Uh huh. And look, I understand race is complicated and fraught, but if I show you a picture of Bruno Campos, you are not going to think, oh, a person of color. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, I mean, we've been here before. That doesn't mean <laughs> it's not appropriate. You have a black character in a New Orleans story. You can, you have Keith David and KMR on the voice cast of this already. You can't tell me you couldn't find a black actor to play the role of Prince Naveem. Uh, point of order, Naveem is uh, not, like, he's ambiguous. He's not African American. No. But he's not a white guy. Yeah, but I don't know that he's a black guy either. And isn't his country made up? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we don't know what racial extraction he's intended to be. He's an African prince. African? Yeah, like, the country's meant to be in Africa. Is it? Isn't it? I, they just call it, like, Moldonia or something. I thought it was very ambiguous. And now, it, and, and okay, he speaks French, which, like, yes, a lot of, of French colonies, but not all of those French colonies are in Africa. Like, there's, there's multiple possibilities. Yeah, here, I'm and some of them are in the Caribbean, and also populated by a bunch of black people because of the slave trade. Sure, sure. I... Man, this is fraught. <laughs> this is at least a country where uh, uh, whatever racial extraction he is, they are the royalty. So yes. I, I'm just saying, I'm not going to be up them for not getting a black guy specifically to voice this character who might not be a black guy. I don't know. So I did do some research at the t uh, of article at the time. Lots of black people were, what the fuck? Why is a white guy voicing the black prince? So, yeah, but nonetheless, I can understand now if you want to, it, it, for a more nuanced take. And of course, this being a podcast, showing you a picture of Bruno Campos and seeing your reaction to that is pointless. And also it gets into the extremely awkward position of us, a pair of white people looking to a colonized person and going, hmm, hmm, yes, is he, is he black enough for this? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's. The point I want, the, the reason I raise this is black people were pissed and it looks to me, having seen photos, that's kind of reasonable. Okay, well, I'm going to give them the, the benefit of the doubt here then because they deserve it. Added bonus, he's now a lawyer who works for a bank. Ah, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> so fuck that guy. <laughs> also, you know what? I'm going to award them a minor yikes in retrospect for making their own... First, now, and at that point only, predominantly uh, black cast movie where the two main characters are not humans for most of it. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of a bit shitty, right? It's 
Yep. I'm, I'm sure it's a coincidence, but isn't it very convenient? It's one of those things where any individual part in the wall of cultural control that racism enforces can be taken away from the wall and looked at and gone, look, it's not that bad on its yeah. own. But you are Disney, you are the Empire, you don't get to pretend you're not part of this. You don't get to pretend that you just let it slip your mind. Yeah. And it's not like this particular story belongs with this particular cast yeah. for any reason. They recontextualize it to, to New Orleans for a reason. Because they wanted to make a black princess for the theme park. Yeah. And it's German originally. This is this is one of the classic um, Grimm's fairy tales. We have a publication date for this thing. Though that's not who they credited as the the author in this case, which I found very interesting. Oh, like, there's probably a redoing there. How do you pick a single author for a fairy tale? Maybe it just means a specific version of it. Mm-hmm. The rest of the voice cast includes Keith David as Dr. Facilier. He's, oh, that explains a lot. He's amazing. He's peerless. He's fantastic. He's fist-fought Roddy Piper in an alleyway. <laughs> Keith David is great. I, I, It is amazing as someone who didn't realize who Keith David was to encounter him <laughs> in Saints Row the Third, see all these jokes about the guy's voice acting history, and then to backfill that and realize that this man's this man is institutional. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of voice actors like that too. Um... <laughs> I bet he's got a third name somewhere that he just never told anyone about. <laughs> we have a bunch of familiar names in here as well, and a bunch of, you know, surprise pop-up. Oh, hey, it's you! Um, <laughs> Alright, uh, let me see if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, is Randy Newman also just voicing Ray the final No! Line? No, okay. No. I in thought fact, I heard that somewhere, but clearly that's not the case. In fact, he is one of our long haulers. What's a long hauler? One of these voice actors who just keeps on showing up. Oh, the Firefly is. Yep. They remember Randy Newman is a long haul. Um, okay. Um, hmm. I don't know what to think of that then. He better be someone who's actually Cajun or else that accent is a real piece of work. I have no idea if Jim Cummings is Cajun. Ooh, I doubt that. We have Jennifer Cody as Charlotte Lottie LaBeouf, who's, you know... Mostly known for this role and a bunch of theatre stuff. She was active in Shrek the Musical before Shrek was a movie. Well, she's doing an absolutely perfect job of this role. I can't think how they could have cast that better. John Goodman as da Big Daddy. Same. Well, yeah, also perfect, yeah. Like, he is such a likable character, I don't actually have a hate for him. I have a hate for the world that said, You know what this story needs? An enormous, bottomlessly wealthy, rich, white dude. Um... Jennifer Lewis as Mama Odie, institutional black actress. She's everyone's black grandma. She has done so much stuff like this. Oh, yeah? Good. Um, she's in Touched by an Angel, which doesn't mean anything to you, but, you know. Uh, Lewis has got to be one of our uh, institutional voice actors, right? Uh, no, he's Michael Leon Woolley. Huh. Um, oh, three names. Yeah. Ah, see? <laughs> so he's probably an institutional <laughs> voice actor. Um, Peter Bartlett was Lawrence. So if that guy comes across as kind of mincing to you, well, yeah. Well, I mean, of course he does. That's exactly what the voice is. He, right at the beginning, I was struck by how much he reminded me of Sir Hiss, just without that particular cartoon voice. But yeah, iconic. Almost the same, just with a different tone. 
He's an iconic gay institution on in theatre. Ah. So when he shows up in movies, it's it's always with like this immense thick layering of the affect. He's able to do that. There's a particular kind of like oh, like yes. you sort of bring that into the voice occasionally, and the way he used that for the the sort of most crawly moments of the character was, I thought, quite artful. Lawrence is excellently voice acted, and I also greatly appreciate that he didn't affect, like, a black voice for when he's impersonating Naveen. No, that was good. Oprah Winfrey is Tiana's mum. <laughs> oh, dear. Fucking A. Terrence Howard is James, Tiana's father. And now, now, Stella, Charlotte's pet basset hound, is voiced by... <laughs> That's right, she gets one line, doesn't she? She does. <laughs> uh, is voiced by, you wouldn't be asking me this if it wasn't, uh, I can't be Mary, what's her name? Because she's passed away by <laughs> yes, now. Yes, sorry, yes, sadly yes. Um, I'm not laughing at that, I'm laughing at the, I'm laughing that you're not going to guess this, and when I tell you, you're going to go, fuck off, really? <laughs> it, oh, okay, it, it, okay, so... This is not an institutional voice actor. Oh, it is. It is? It is. It's not a cameo from a voice actor who's completely above this? No, this is this this voice actor's bread and butter. Oh, okay. Um, I I don't know a lot of female voice actors who do the million billion voices whose names I can fucking remember. And there you Um, go, falling into my trap. I, I pull can aside the carpet. I think of Mary Kay Bergman and Mary Weiss, and they both passed away. And you fall into the spiky ground because it's Frank Welker all along. You're not serious. I'm ah. dead serious. Frank Welker is the voice of the Basset Hound. I hate that I nearly said Frank Welker, but I was like, no, they wouldn't get him to, to do a girl voice. Um, D. Bradley Baker is the snake. What the fuck? <laughs> wow. I can't remember the snake making a noise Makes a noise I guess it does (sighs) Uh, Richie Montgomery, Don Hall and Paul Briggs Are the bumbling frog hunters Those names don't mean anything to me but They might also be worthy of a yikes I don't know how Mm. we feel About hillbilly stereotypes But those are Those three between them are all of the hillbilly stereotypes They really are Mm, I assume there's some yikes there my my asterisk there is that in a movie that centers on a couple of black people making fun of white people doesn't bother me so much, but I can understand how, you know, that particular set of stereotypes probably stings a fucking lot. Well, they've also got the Cajun thing going on, right? True. And that is a particular, like, Sub-sub-group, layered yeah. racial extraction. Yeah. Like, they're certainly not the privileged people in this scenario, so. Yeah, Bayou people tend to be excluded from whiteness at that period. Yeah, exactly. And again, back to the complicated and fraught history of Louisiana. <sighs> um, finally, the crocodiles. Sorry, the alligators. My bad. Oh, that's right. We got some alligator. Da- and yes, they definitely would be alligators. Alligators uh, living in North and South America. Uh, crocodiles endemic to places like Africa and Australia. Yep. That's why these are small and unimpressive animals. <laughs> <laughs> who are voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson <laughs> and Emeril Lagasse, who's a celebrity chef? That's not a name I recognize, but <laughs> that's a fun one. 
don't know. Maybe they were like in the studio and like, yeah, I'll do a Disney voice. Give me that shit. Or, or maybe they trolled every single actor who had any Cajun connection at all and said, hey, does anyone want in on this? And Emerald Legacy, which is possibly a Cajun name, went, yo. Yeah, now that you mention it. <laughs> I have no idea. But I thought that as far as the voice cast goes, aside from Naveen, like almost every major actor here is voiced by people of color and all the ones who get focus as pe- as characters of color are people of color. So like they almost get this in a way that I would consider to be perfectly right. And then they just have this really odd thing with Naveen, which mm. especially surprises me because it's not like, it's not like he is a unique voice. It's not like he does anything that I find so remarkable he doesn't have a a outstanding cadence or anything that i would think of as like oh no you had to go to a very specific source for this no he i mean he has an unusual accent but it's not that far from a not unusual accent at all like it's an accent that a lot of people could have done yeah so i yeah if you told me that there was one person where they they uh cross cast them uh, just because, you know, they had to have that guy, I would not have guessed it was him. Yeah, like, if, if it was like, this character needs to be able to hit the glass-breaking note, or needs to drop it into the sub-base area. Or just so- needs to have the ridiculous energy of, uh, fucking name, it's got Charlotte. Like, we just need someone with that much overflow that we don't have a lot of choices. But yeah. he has none of these things. He's a... Kind of a boring hero, if we're totally honest. The other thing there is, just to provide another example of voice actors who bring something to the table that almost no one else can. KMR, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, has the most extraordinary ability to shout. I I know (laughs) this this is not an issue of volume. This is an issue of emotionality at scope. When when KMR is voicing a character who is dying, he is the only person I can remember hearing and going, oh no, that's actually the emotions of a dying man as he screams in rage. Uh, I've been replaying Baldur's Gate ah, and hearing him voice Saravok. Yeah, and Saravok's death quote is, no, I refuse. And I could tell you that line a million different times. And I will never be able to capture the way that KMR manages to deliver it as a man using literally his last breath to hate the fact that he is falling. <laughs> I really like KMR. He's a really good voice actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has like no bearing on what's going on here. You just wanted to bring that up. I just wanted to talk about how great <laughs> KMR is and how I'm glad to see him in one of these. Cause... I am okay with that. I... I feel bad bringing it up because I don't want to criticize that hard something which is unique and desperately could have used more exposure Mm -hmm. within any Empire's oeuvre. But I feel like Tiana's performance is a little weak a lot of the time as well. I want to say that's not on the actor, but could quite possibly be on the direction because we know that Disney has a big thing about their princesses staying princessy and pretty and whatnot even in in intense emotional moments and there are moments in this where i wanted to hear something more come out in yeah. her 
but it's just not delivered. And, you know, I, I feel like it's more likely she got told to hold back than that she couldn't do it. And in our case, we cannot talk to the actor. We can only ever look at the product. Yeah. Like, and I haven't seen uh, Anikanoni Rose in anything else. Uh, I don't know what her scope is like. Uh, I've never seen her do a super emotional role or anything like that. But I, I do feel like there's something missing a bit from Diana here. Yeah. And there, and there are so many different layers on which that might be happening because there's the way that pr- Disney princesses are stereotypically constrained. There's ways that black women are told to restrain themselves. There's way that there, there's the, but not too black thing about emotional outbursts and trying to contain like presentable images for black women. There's so many layers mm. on which I can't imagine the actor was given a completely fair control over the thing that they were trying to do. So, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Thing. Like, if you can level a criticism at Tiana as a character, rather than the story around her as a story, uh, is that she's definitely a, like, a model black person. Yeah. Um, what One of the big issues with this movie is that it thinks she has huge flaws that she doesn't really have. No, she just does not. <laughs> Flat out does not. <laughs> she's just someone who has her shit together and wasn't concerned about romance until she found someone she felt romantic towards. Which is how it's supposed to work, everyone. That's that's how it's meant to be. Yeah, um, and also, well, I mean, that just gets us into things like Grand Thesis territory. But there is a lot wrong with how Tiana is treated. Um... As far as, by the way, the singing, when Tiana sings and like she's going for it, she's great. <laughs> I love I love the energy and the the joy in Almost There, which is the only song I can really think of as like showcasing her as a character. Yeah, well she doesn't do much singing aside from that, Which is a little bit of a bummer, isn't it? It is, it feels like a waste. <laughs> like my god, listen to her belt that last uh yeah. <laughs> last fucking long note. Ooh, I like that. Uh, yeah, and she sings a little bit in, in some of the other numbers, but not much. Do you want to move on to talk about the music? Yeah, why not? This is another area I feel like I'm out of my depth in, because, like, I simultaneously want to go, there's a lot of this music I don't care much for, and then want to go, uh, but it's also because I'm extremely not used to these styles, and they evoke no, you know, nostalgia or affection in me. Uh, I wonder why I didn't hear these styles of music when I was a child. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Whereas I have heard a ton of bluegrass <laughs> and zydeco and all of that stuff, and it was treated as devil's music by country <laughs> fans. I'm like, ooh, these profane rhythms and these strange arcane things. When we were doing the discussion for what song to put up, I was very seriously considering getting a Jerry Reed song and sharing it with Fox to see if she can kazoo <laughs> that. Because, like, we are we are that white in this context. Um, so let me tell you a story of a tragedy and white guys failing upward. <laughs> Shit, I just realized that the real reason I don't like this music is because I don't like Randy Newman music. I never have. I don't like a single song he's ever written. Originally, Alan Menken was considered to be in charge of the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't feel unreasonable to give it to Randy Newman, because at last check, he is actually Cajun. This is his lane. Yeah. So I don't begrudge him getting it. Uh, 
And just the natural consequence of that is me not loving it that much. But Lassiter was concerned that it might sound too much like Enchanted the Lion King, Mulan, and Tarzan. Yeah, you know. <laughs> too much like Tarzan. Too, wow. That, um, like, that's, I feel like that's slander against Alan Menken, frankly. Now, Newman is a jazz composer. His, he grew up in New Orleans. He is definitely of this place. And his previous experience was cited as he had performed the music for Cats Don't Dance and Toy Story. <laughs> well. <laughs> but that meant that lasted a new him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like it was probably Toy Story that did it for him. Yep. Uh, and now, Cats Don't Dance has a jazzy soundtrack at last check, so that's probably more in line with the genre. Like, oh, that was probably his reference for genre. Now, here's the other thing. Randy Newman wrote and composed the score in these songs. He did not perform them. The score. I like the score. Yes, the score whips. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the... the uh, I, I'm, I've never been a fan of his lyrics, and most of these songs are eh, lyrically. The, um, the he, uh, opening song, Down in New Orleans, is sung by a guy called Dr. John, which... Is a justified name if you know the music genre. Like, you can just get away with going by Dr. John if you are that good. Okay. So he's just super important? Yeah. And if I knew anything about this music, I would know him? He's in both Blues Brothers movies. Okay. Those uh, are reference points I recognize. Like, him showing up in a Blues Brothers movie is meant to be one of those moments where everyone goes, <laughs> Oh, that guy! <laughs> <laughs> I did assume that based on the fact that you said he was in a Blues Brothers movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> This was just an excuse to do cameos, right? That's yep. all Blues Brothers is. Oh, and a car chase. Yeah, and music videos. Cameos and a car chase. Oh, yeah. Honestly, that sounds well, yeah, like a good time. Yeah, all the cameos time. are musical cameos. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I can think of much worse ways to spend our time than a, a string of musical cameos and a car chase. And also maybe Carrie Fisher with a machine gun. Hear me out. Blues Sisters. Anyway. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. maybe we expect... Look, I just want a way to have Janelle Monet in one of those suits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you just ask them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to hear about how there's a much more interesting movie about this movie that's never going to get made? <laughs> a movie about this movie? Yep. See, Disney announced in 2004 that Home on the Range would be their last traditionally animated film. This was yep. actually part of the marketing, and that's why I had it in my head. Yeah, what? No, they meant it. Yep. When they acquired Pixar in 2006, John Lasseter and Ed Catmull reversed the decision and reinstated the hand-drawn animation at the studio. Yay! Hooray! Things will be fixed! We're saved! Which meant they had to go back and rehire all the Disney-caliber traditional animators. <laughs> Which involved finding some of them who had fled the industry or changed their names. Wow. There's a, there is a getting the band back together movie for traditional hand-drawn animation. Okay, I still don't think that's a more interesting movie than this movie, though. Where the core of it is that Lasseter decided to reinstate this, that he would get Musker and Clements, pull them in, and say, do you want to make a 3D movie? Or a traditional animated movie? And they said, we want to make a traditionally animated movie. And then they used that <laughs> carrot 
to bait all the other animators oh, back. I use Master and Clement as a lure. So they look like, you know, oh yeah, I guess, I guess you've hung up. And then they fucked them. I guess you've hung up the pencils for good, huh? It's a shame. Ron and John will be disappointed we can't have you. <laughs> so, hang on, getting the band back together is itself a Blues Brothers reference, uh, right? That's yeah. what popularized the... Uh... So, yeah, it's a Musker and Clements joint. They reinvigorated the traditional animation department to make it happen, and they wound up deploying, like, HRPIs to go and find the people who could draw at Disney levels consistently. That is so upsetting when you know how it went after this. I'm sure everything will be fine after this. Did they also get to work, get them to work on Enchanted, or is that in the past by now? Ah, uh, they got them to work on Enchanted. Right. Because the, the animation in Enchanted is fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. Well. Don't watch it unless you skip the live parts. It's very bad. Fox is not a fan of Enchanted and its live-action parts. I'm just super mad because now I've seen what Disney thinks a Disney princess looks like in real life, and it's horrid. Ah. <laughs> I've seen more convincing characters in Panto. Like high school level Panto. You went to a performing arts high school, Fox. Still! That has been our enchanted micro-episode inside an episode. The cannonball within a cannonball. Friends don't let friends get perms. Uh, yeah. Anyway. With that, all, with that that's all the stuff I have for the animation and making of this movie. <laughs> Which has eaten up more than half an yep, hour. Yeah, I think we're about done by now. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, let's see. It feels like a getting a band back together movie. Uh, so we spoke about this a bit uh, behind the Ike store, but it, it bears repeating that the animation in this is fucking joyful. So much fun. Like, uh, Facilier is, he is entirely <laughs> about them just wanting to have a great, fantastic fucking time, right? And all his song numbers and all the the stylization that goes with that and Tiana's fucking art deco song number that is just it's gorgeous they had such a good time with this oh right and every bit of animation on Charlotte oh my god the shadow shtick for Vasilier that's an old trick that both Hanna-Barbera and Warner Brothers used and it almost feels like this for Vasilier is Disney going, oh, what? Your shadow character needs a fixed camera, does it? Oh, let us show you the power of a full traditional animation studio. Yeah, no like, it's so, it, it's a combination of joyful and, and like exhilarated with itself. This movie is doing so much stuff. And so many little details that are needlessly excellent. I think this is why I don't have an in me to dislike this, no matter how much the plot shits me. Yeah. It's so joyful. Mm-hmm. And as as coming when it does, after the sad fucking litany of, of late 2000s Disney losing their way, um, it's... I mean, it's not a return to form, but it is a an evolution of the form into something that could work and stay beautiful traditional animation. The preceding five movies before this were Bolt, Meet the Robinsons, Chicken Little, mm-hmm. Home on the Range, mm-hmm. Brother Bear. Yep. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. They're like this. We, we enjoyed Bolt. 
Bolt's but great. otherwise, this shits on all of those. Yeah. Um. And honestly, I like Bolt. This movie still shits on Bolt. It's probably the just best. in terms of sheer style. I don't know. There was less in Bolt that made me angry, but there was also less in Bolt that made me delighted. So, yeah. And when you <sighs> consider that Bolt has Rhino, <laughs> have I talked about how they use light here? Oh, oh my god! After Home on the Range, with the with the like you said, no lighting, and I know that's not true per se. There was very little shading in most of the scenes. Um, and after Lilo and Stitch, where to save money, they had to do everything they could to not use yeah, extensive lighting flat as well. to see so much of this doing coloured lighting the the regular use of of shading the light itself not just with ray but also with um uh uh uh, uh the the friends on the other side the spirits yeah oh my god i don't know if this got a stage musical version <laughs> but of all the disney shit that should have gotten stage musical versions this is right fucking up there imagine what you could do with like black light numbers ah yeah wow it is a, it is a real treat, and I think part of that is the proximity it was able to have to its own visual medium. Like they didn't have to send someone for three days to Uluru; <laughs> they could just get animators. Yeah, might have something to do with it. Yeah, but I mean, even then, that's mostly good for things like environments and whatnot. Yeah, sure, but also. If you know the music, you know the energy of the music. If you know the energy of the music, you can animate the movement of the people as they relate to the music. It yeah, is, that's fair. It is you walk into running, into dancing, into flying. It is the nature of being able to reflect something you know deeply and intimately and why, for example, it matters to have people involved in a culture being able to be part of the producing the art about that culture. It does feel sincere and authentic uh, in ways that uh, something they did not care about on that level would would come across. You know what? It's, it's uh, you know, compare and contrast Emperor's New Groove, mm. right? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, you could tell no one gave a fuck about anything to do with, with authenticity or the particular energy of the cultures they were drawing from or, yeah. like, nothing going on there at all. Just get fucking Sting and Tom Jones. It's cool. Don't worry about it. It also succeeds at being a musical. Yeah. Like, oh my it's God. Not, sort of fucking Phil Collins thing with songs just sort of slapped on there. Like it, it follows the emotional through line of, of a world where people sing about the stuff that matters to them and sing to get things done, and sing to persuade other characters, and if something is important, you sing about it. Songs can be wrong. In fact, there's almost too many songs in this movie, but I cannot fault it on on just understanding that if it's worth being important in a musical, it's worth doing a fucking song about. Don't let the Fireflies song. I felt like we got the Human Again song. We, we got two road trip songs. And we didn't need two road trip songs. It was like, we had a road trip. Oh, we fucked up that road trip. Here, have another better road trip with a different song. Uh, look, I... Like, that was a bit of just sort of annoying filler in the middle of that. Yeah, but if you ask me to ditch one of them, I'm not going to ditch the Firefly song. <laughs> but oh, really? I, I like it's Zy- so boring. <laughs> I like Zydeco Rhythm. I really like the music. The tune is <laughs> just really flat. Oh, well. I'm not. I'm not criticizing someone else's choice. It's got nicer animation than 
human again. And human again has a less interest. Sorry. We'll be human when I'm human. Yeah. Human again is the song they backfilled into Beauty and the You're Beast. You're right. I was going to say... <laughs> I was gonna say something about that, and then I realized, no, no, this is Fox. If she, if she, if she brings <laughs> no, up a song, a she knows what she's talking about. Well, I don't know any of these songs by their titles either. These are yeah. what I'm assuming they're called. I did not have the soundtrack on tape sing along book for this movie. Mm-hmm. Given that it came out when you were 25, <laughs> <laughs> am I 25 already at this point? Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lose track of all time when Disney's not putting out one movie a year anymore. <laughs> exactly. Fucks me up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'd probably cut When I'm Human as well, just because it's not an interesting song. From there, when we're done with the animation and making, like, the components of the movie, we normally move on to a grand thesis. And I think you actually stated <laughs> the most correct version of a grand thesis that's appropriate for this movie as a couple of white people. Um, and I, I think you should take the lead here. <laughs> So, just in the sense that, that this movie fundamentally misunderstands the the contrast between its two main characters. Yeah. And thinks Tiana is a flawed character when, like, really, she's not. She's right about everything. You should get out of her way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, we're supposed to understand that she's a workaholic and she never has any fun and that this is, like, poisoning her soul or whatever. But, like, that's missing the point. That she's, like, done her thing and achieved it. And she did everything right, and now she gets to have some fun. And the only reason this hasn't panned out is because some fuck got in the way when it was time to have fun. Three some fucks. <laughs> Three some fucks, yes. And, and, like, you know, she is she is denied her opportunity by explicitly racism. Like, she's about to buy the, about to buy the place... She's about to be fine, and then the night of that, she gets told, no, we're backing out of the deal because we don't think you, you can support yourself. Like, fuck off. This this is not an mm-hmm. equal problem to, I'm having so much fun, I've run out of money. And also, I don't buy the idea that she has, like, dreadfully neglected the other aspects of her life. Like, yeah, she's kind of a workaholic, but she still has friends. Yep. Who wish to spend time with her, which must mean that she at least puts in the effort to be friends with some people. She's not like a terrifying hermit who no one talks about and everyone's like, oh no, don't bother asking Tiana to the dance. Everybody knows she never has any fun. Or, does anyone remember what happened to Tiana? Yeah. Like, did she die or something? Oh no, she just sleeps two hours between her two jobs. It's, uh... It is, it's relying a lot on certain signifiers that we just assume work. For example, the fact that Naveen is rich and his parents cut him off and he is distressed by that and would like to have money so he can continue having fun. That's relying a lot on pre-existing ideas of, well, the parents are right to cut him off. How much money was he spending? We don't know. We don't know if he was like blowing thousands of dollars a night. But we have the implication that it was too much and his parents cut him off, which is weird because why is he over here if his parents cut him off? When did that happen? How long has that been? And all of these factors are just relying on you having a pre-existing structure in your head of wasteful shithead. I feel like we sort of get that answered, like it's implied that he has been cut off 
now, and that's mm -hmm. why he is going on tour to try and find a rich wife. Yeah, but how recently? How many other places has he checked? Is this literally the first place he's gone to? That's true. We don't know that. I don't know that we need that information necessarily, but, like, you're not wrong, especially in terms of, like, well, what, what are they spending their money on? Yeah. Because unless your fabulously wealthy royal family is, like, actively trying to spend all of their money in improving life for non-royal people where they are from, I don't think they have any right to cut off their son for being a, a wastrel. Because, like, what are you fucking doing, mum and dad? What's your deal? Yeah, and there's, like, a whole bunch of semiotics wrapped up there. Oh, he doesn't want to work for a living? What the fuck do you do? Yeah, you're royals. Is, were you expecting him to get a job? Were you expecting him to go out and become a waiter? Was that really what the royal family expected their prince's son to do? I feel like being a beloved man of the people is kind of exactly what a prince's job is meant to be. Like, that's that's fermenting proof against rebellion right there. And they act as if at the end of the movie they're, like, really happy to see their prince's son... Working as a waiter. ...is working as a waiter serving diced vegetables. And he's in the band. And, like... Yeah. There's so much stuff there that's just relying on the fact that you have a pre-existing structure in your head of, oh, he's awful because he's wasting money by having fun. There is so much of Walt Disney's glass of cigarette there. <laughs> and then... Similarly, you have Tiana, who is a woman who has a clear purpose, a clear ambition, a clear motivation for all of it. She knows what she wants. She knows how to get it. She's doing the thing she needs to do to get it as soon as she can. And the movie is going, yes, but you don't have enough. Like, yeah, you have this, but you also should probably have babies. The fact that people deliberately fucked you out of this is a sign that you had the wrong tactic. And not a sign that those people suck and are racist and sexist and should die in a fire. Similarly, the there's this, you know, dream of work bullshit where her dad does triple shifts and come home sore, but he hides it from his family how unhappy he is because he is happy because of the joy of his family. Yeah, okay, but what if he didn't yeah. also have What if he didn't have pain? to do that? Mm -hmm. what, what if... He was doing something he loved as well. It's this capitalist Protestant horseshit, which positions has money but doesn't spend it correctly, and has money but isn't spending it correctly, as two different equal binaries, when one of them is from a poor person trying to change their social class, and the other one yeah. is a rich fuck. Yeah, exactly. It's... Hmm. I don't dislike either of these characters. I hate their world. I hate that their wants and needs are treated as being equal uh, when they are not even really comparable. Yeah, not not uh, even vaguely. If we, God, if we had even just seen that Tiana's lifestyle was hurting her, then that would be enough. If we had just seen, like, no, she actually is working too hard. Well, I mean, we see like, her get home, lie down, the alarm goes off. And normally, that's, okay, great, this character doesn't get enough sleep. Yeah. But it doesn't that's affect what it her. Signifies. But yeah, then she goes and does She's doing really great. <laughs> She's fucking incredible. I don't know if it was just a case of what we didn't want to show it getting to her because then she would seem less strong as a character and we're super touchy about that or whatever, but 
It just comes across as like, well, you showed me that it's not a problem, so why are you now telling me that it's a problem? Or you could show her as a frog sleeping in. That'd but we don't. Yeah. We don't see that. No. We see her waking up early and doing hard work. Or you could maybe... You could do more with the fact that her willingness to put it all on herself, to go, no, it's just that I'm not working hard enough, you could make a point of, no, people will screw you if that's all you do, and and if you always just take that back upon yourself. But they don't do anything with that. They had every chance to with the shitty estate agents, but that's not what they chose to to take her arc. They come so close to the door of that idea, yeah, too. Yeah, they really do. You know what's really good for stopping you from getting screwed? Collaboration with people at your level. A friend network is a great way to stop yourself from getting fucked over. A union is a good tool for protecting yourself and other workers. <laughs> and in Tiana's case, when she put out the call, like, I made gumbo. Did you catch that someone else said, oh, I made hush puppies? Yeah. People bringing it together yeah and the thing is this movie frames it as sort of like this nebulous of like oh yes the warm glow of having everyone in your neighborhood sharing food with you like yeah okay that's nice but they're also sharing their food people are mutually beneficial to one another yeah and so in the, there is a point in the story and i have it in my whatever land notes there's a point in the story where a friend of hers makes because she has a friend, is able to make good on something she can also do to keep her from getting screwed. But the friend's a fucking alligator! I mean, this. But okay. One of the ways this story does work is that every character we see give up the thing that they that they want. We, we see them give up on the precious thing, even though they do achieve it one by one, and then they have to give it up. And that is a through line that actually works. Yeah. I don't actually think there's any, any, like, good guy character that we don't see that for. Like, Naveem does get the chance for the kiss, gives it up for Tiana. Tiana does get the chance for the restaurant, gives it up for Naveem. Charlotte gets the chance to marry Naveem, gives it up for Tiana. Solid friend, by the way. I, I really like Charlotte, despite the potential yikesiness. Let's just gloss over that for now. Yeah, good point. I forgot about that over there in the yikes door. Lewis gets accepted into the jazz band, gets to, to do what he's always dreamed of doing, gives it up to be a terrifying alligator for the sake of Ray. Ray, yeah. Ray. already has what he wants, I think. Ray. He just gives up his life to get Evangeline, so, you know. Yeah. By the way, a little bit of a yikes for Ray. You don't get to decide that a woman who's never spoken to you is in love with you. Sorry, Ray. Yeah. I know it's dreadfully romantic and everything as far as the movie is concerned, but it's a little fucked up. Stop that. Yeah. So... Uh, where were we? That was a bit of a detour. That through line of the movie is good and is strong and does reinforce that idea of you know what you want, but you also have to understand what you need. And the the climax and the ending of the movie is a great, you know, full circle sort of uh, demonstration of that point. Top marks for that. But it doesn't change the fact that they still don't really understand Tiana's flaws or lack thereof or make them feel like they actually mean anything. And part of this is just the ongoing trend of Disney weirdly ever, like after Aladdin, never appreciating the inadequacy of their men. (laughs) Milo is the most obvious example where Milo is put on an equal level with multiple women who could buy or sell him 
Like he is, he is not an impressive person. Mm. He is not an equal contender in any of those possible relationships. And that would be fine if he didn't try to puff himself up the way that he does. Yeah. Like I, I like a weak man. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very interested, especially in that era, in protagonists uh, who weren't, you know, square jaw perfect heroes. And you know, Disney's been pretty good at that traditionally. Like once they stopped doing stock Prince Charming characters, at least they tended to have interesting dudes. Yeah, because they recognize that you can't, you know, Superman is not a good Disney character. No, though now. Ironically, now Disney could probably do the best Superman, <laughs> considering what's happened with with official Superman. But we're, now we're really getting off track. Um, yes, Naveem, not bad for being a hedonist. That's actually fine. Very dubious in, in his willingness to string along multiple girls at a time. But, like, that's only bad if they're not aware of it. We never get an idea of how he convinces women. Yeah. So... The assumption that he is stringing them along brings with it the assumption that they are being led into something by false pretense, which might be an assumption this movie's narrative is making. It's totally fine to look at that and see it that way. I'm willing to go there because we know that he's only interested in marrying for money, and he is still actively interested in pursuing women even after he has said, no, I have to marry her. So, like... That, I think, does demonstrate that he is at least indifferent to the feelings of the women involved. Yeah. On the other hand, he does overestimate his own appeal tremendously, to the point where he might just genuinely think, no, of course she'd be happy with that. Everyone wants a piece of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This movie is, as with many such Disney movies, a bit misaligned in its estimation of men and women. Ironically, if I was going to point to counterexamples in the Disney oeuvre, I would point to Prince Eric and Aladdin, (laughs) both of whom are actually pretty good dudes in a really weird way. I would not have expected Eric to be on my list. I was surprised how much I liked him on the rewatch. He always just registered as a nobody in my mind. I thought of him as another generic Prince Charming, but no, he's got shit going on. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Naveem has shit going on too. His real issue is just that he doesn't care how his wants hurt other people. Um, which is easy enough to address. You just need to gain some self-awareness. And maybe you could also frame it as Tiana's problem is that she doesn't realize how her wants are hurting her. Oh, that'd be a great contrast! And That's the way in which they could actually have been. Like, equal but opposite. And now we are script doctoring yeah. a movie that came out the year one of our nephews was born. <sighs> so... <laughs> That would have been good, though. I'm I'm mad now. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, they almost had it. They were almost there. Were they on their way to whatever land? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about them, but we sure are. So I am not well versed in either history or uh, military anything. Uh, so I don't recognize what war or like what era of the military Tiana's dad would have been involved in or what that medal would be for so don't don't for a moment think that this is me being smart by the way listener I just looked this up <laughs> like Fox asked the question and I looked it up but it's a World War One serviceman's medal and he got it for dying I, I did assume that he died in the war and that's why the, yeah. the medal but um, it, okay. it might be uh, it might so be it's World War One. yeah that's yeah. yeah that's the big one who boy, things are about to get pretty, uh, pretty busy for uh, everyone in the next 
oh, you know, 12 <laughs> years or so. Come to think of it, I didn't realize that America's military was... No, it probably wasn't integrated, was it? No. No. There was... I was going to say I didn't think it was integrated at that point. Like, oh, no, just because he was in the army doesn't mean it was integrated. Ah, ah, oh, I hate everything about this. There were <laughs> coloreds only units. Yeah. And there were coloreds only roles. <sighs> with some of the arguments being about, well, we can't let them learn how to use guns. Yeah, so Tiana's dad is basically a saint. Yeah, he was probably a medic. That would not be surprising at all. And, like, yeah, my dad died in World War One being a medic because he was too tremendous. <laughs> being too tremendous. You know what? He could well have been a cook. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's that's my memory of World War One and America's military, and I know that it got worse around World War Two. so, yeah. you know, don't follow that off a cliff. Don't trust me as your only historical source on that. Either way, yeah, like, wow, that sucked. <laughs> <clears throat> right, uh, yep, you. <clears throat> Rich people are just, you know, generally good and nice. They just, like, throw their money around everywhere. Look at all that cash he gives the newsboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, and it's, you know, it's endearing and lovable. How oh, he just throws his money around like that and lets his daughter throw his money around like that. Nothing they, wrong with how this family conducts themselves. It's fine. They don't really notice the value of money. Everybody that, loves and appreciates them because they don't care about money. They could throw around life-changing sums of money and not notice. <laughs> See? See? They've achieved true happiness because they know that money doesn't matter. Trickle-down economics. <laughs> <laughs> yep, hate everything about this. Uh, in the end, uh, what brings our story to a close is the inherent redeeming power of monarchy as bequeathed divinely onto individuals <laughs> that cannot be abnegated. Now, to be fair... To be fair... To be fair... To be fair... I think that's kind of a, a cute bit. It's, it's a cute fine. bit. We all know... We, I mean, it's also about the, the, the fantasy of monarchy ultimately because charlotte counts as a princess and we are never given a reason to think that it wouldn't have worked if if they'd got there in time i'm still quite happy to build a tiny frog guillotine <laughs> well that's not gonna work because they're humans again now good we've got normal sized guillotines as well yeah. mama odie's advice summarizes as i can do whatever magical bullshit i want but i won't yeah mama odie yeah. sucks once again, this would have worked better if we had seen that Tiana's way of living was actually damaging her. Yeah. <laughs> because as long as we're under the understanding that she was doing fine and the things that stopped her from doing fine were external, uh, then refusing to help her directly because she needs a life lesson instead is some bullshit. Naveen? Totally fair. Totally fair. His He definitely needs to learn a life lesson, and I'm okay with that. Not the one she told him. Not quite, she no. does, He does need to learn a life lesson about respecting other people. I don't think Naveem's problem is that he cares too much about money. Yeah, indeed. He kind of doesn't care about money at all. He cares about what money let him have, which is freedom and fun. Oh no, he likes freedom and fun. Quick, get him. Make him feel guilty. <laughs> but also, just like Charlotte and her daddy, he doesn't care about money. Well, he didn't care about money. Yeah. Uh, this is a world with actual, literal magic, and it doesn't have anything that's as powerful as just money. Like, 
stated in text. It's true. It's true. I like that as a moral, though. That's, I mean, it is what it is. Hey, um, the idea of the shadows being vulnerable to raise butt. It's actually super cool. My next point, a firefly versus the shadows yeah. is a dope fucking concept what for a fight. What a great fight. idea. Absolutely. Love Excellent. It. And my next chain on from that is Ray's death is one of the best things in the movie. Like, it sucks and it hurts and it hurts because it matters and it matters because we saw this character. We understood this character. He had conversations. We saw him alive. We saw him fight. We saw him die. And, like, it is very rare for a movie to give you all of those details and to make the death of a character that matters so personal and so real. It's... I... I looked at the screen at a point and I sort of took stock of how I was engaging with the movie at that point. And I'm like, I am watching two frogs and a fat alligator cry over a dead bug. And I'm crying too. You did okay, movie. Yeah, you know, that, I, I gotta hand it to them. Ironic echo of Timon. Those things up there are fireflies. Yeah, exactly! That's gotta be deliberate. There's it's no really way cute. they didn't have that in mind. And also, Ray is one of the kings. I don't know if you get promoted or anything. Uh, stars are kings. Fireflies. Uh, no, stars are fireflies. Simba was wrong, remember? What I'm saying here is that all fireflies are kings, I guess. <laughs> you hate kings! Death to fireflies! <laughs> well, Facilier's got you there. Oh no, whose side am I on in this? He is also... Definitely the most brutal Disney villain we've ever seen. Based He's on that. so good. I don't know if he 100% understood that this was a sentient character he was destroying, but I think he probably did. He makes a man bleed in a Disney movie. He yeah, is at the true. level of the Horned King. Yeah. We we have not seen blood in some time. I'll, I'll cut what I we, we did see some blood in Atlantis, but Atlantis was a soulless husk. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. These, you know what? Atlantis is almost like a mirror counterpart of this because it had so much stuff and no yeah. heart. And this is so much heart. So much heart and very little stuff. <laughs> the body is the slave to the mind, as demonstrated by the frog tongues wanting to eat insects on their own. That's a little creepy, yeah. Also, we got some extremely variable length tongue going on. The narrative of two people trapped in bodies that are incorrect for them, that they cannot abide and will do anything <laughs> to escape, means this could have been a fantastic narrative about dysphoria. Obviously, Disney wouldn't know about that because they're cowards. Dysphoria? <laughs> uh, there's a point where Tiana and her mum hug... After her around the pot brings her the crock pot as a gift <laughs> and I there is no more uncomfortable hug that I can imagine than a hug that has to happen around a large cooking pot by two people with breasts. <laughs> it gives me a flashback to watching the documentary on Pocahontas where they were talking about how difficult it was for the two animation teams to coordinate a kiss between <laughs> the two of them because Pocahontas has such a stern nose that there's a range of motion you're a, you, it's difficult to show. And, and I'm just imagining those animators looking at the hug with boobs <laughs> around the pot 
and just going, no, I fucking quit. <laughs> With that, I mean, you'll notice that we did not see yeah. much of that. Like, they just, they both had coats on. The angle was such that they just sort of came together and you could pretend that there was no 3D space in between them at all. That's that's the magic of 2D animation, son. There's a bunch of stuff like that with uh, Louis on the trip down the river where he is quite clearly in a position <laughs> yes. where no one is standing on him. There's no way for anyone to be standing on him. But, eh, whatever. This is a movie about the power of hard work. This is a movie about the power of hard work and having rich friends. This is a movie about the power of hard work and having rich friends and fucking threats. <laughs> Once again, by the way, Tiana is clearly doing okay. Because she has maintained a friendship with someone who cares so much that she will sacrifice her own happiness for Tiana. Yeah. That's not a friendship that is had by someone who who is destroying their life by never doing anything but work. That is a friendship that has happened because someone is willing to be a friend for like 20 fucking years. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Lottie sucks in a lot of ways, but not like that. It. It just, it, it's just another sign, like, they can tell us all they want that Tiana is doing the wrong thing, but everything in her life. It's, it's Calvinistic, capitalistic work humpers. It's the kind of ones who are, you know, trying to make sure that you earn money, but not too much. You want to advance <laughs> your station, but not too quick. You care about money, but only if you made it yourself. Yeah, it, it's, it's Other vile. Money make you happy. That's hollow. It's up there with Toy Story for world themes that make me offended on behalf of the characters. Um, Facilier is the most brutal Disney villain we've seen and also gets probably the scariest Disney villain. Holy shit, yeah! Like, he doesn't exactly get impaled by a ghost ship, but I think dragged to the netherworld by spooky voodoo demons is... Flooring yeah, the yeah. ground. He is trying to get every second of life he can. He kind of gets spiritually buried alive. <laughs> he gets eaten. He gets fucking eaten. He gets dragged into a mouth. <laughs> I guess it is a mouth. <laughs> it has but teeth. It's a, well, it's a tombstone once it goes back to, to being in the real world. So Not I don't know. better. <laughs> Depends what part of it you consider to be symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> I think Either the way. big mouth that opens up and <laughs> sings at him and then eats him. I don't think that's a symbol. I think that happens. Yeah, but it's a mouth that's in a mask. <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm just saying, I think it's worse than getting eaten. Another Disney tradition this brings back most unfortunately is random cruelty to animals. Yeah. Like, I heard it's hilarious that little kids torment the domestic animals they have power over. Yeah. Like, ew, 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 ew. That's the, that's the one thing Lottie does which really makes me want to kick her. Just like, everything else is harmless rich girl shit that isn't really your fault because your world is fucking warped to begin with. But, but, that poor fucking cat. And also, just how many times does someone slap a frog with a book? It's true. Uh, also, turtles yeah, seem to be the, the all-purpose fuck you gag bit in, in the swamp stuff. There's a scene where Louis Lewis leaves a turtle hanging on a tree. That turtle is gonna die. Turtles can't do that. Yeah. It's, it's dead. You killed it. Why did you leave it there? Why did you put it there in the first place? It was like a, hanging a hat on a hat rack joke, but, like, the joke's over. Take the poor turtle down. 
Maybe that was the turtle from the rescuers. <laughs> Fucking Confederate turtle. Just In which getting case, what it deserves. Fuck that turtle. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I haven't checked the time on the rescuers, but it could be. Wait, no, they have airplanes, don't they? It's yeah, the it's got to be later. <laughs> it's yeah, the 60s. Okay. It's, it's, it's well later. And the they have UN. TV. And the UN, yeah, it's it's not yeah, okay. it's not even vaguely right, close to the same right, time fine. frame. This might be the ancestor of the Confederate turtle. Uh, man, fuck that turtle. And you know what else? Speaking of things that need to get fucked, let's talk about capitalism. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, Talon, I don't think you understand, but you shouldn't care about money. Money <laughs> won't make you happy, even if you live in an oppressed class where the only thing stopping you from being fine is the fact that other people don't give you enough money for your effort and labor. Speaking of enough money, do you reckon this movie cost more or less than Bolt? Oh, that's rough, isn't it? I have no memory of what Bolt cost. 150 mil. Um, a little bit less. 105. Hey! So I'll give myself partial credit for that guess. Two-thirds of a Bolt. <laughs> It's not necessarily a little bit less, but at least I got the under over, right? What do you reckon the take was? Uh... And look, we've been, we've been doing this for a long time now. I just want to underscore, generalities are fine. I know, I know, I know. Because there's, like, it's so hard to estimate these numbers correctly. And the swings are so fucking wild when we're talking they about are, hundreds of millions of dollars. They are so wild. <laughs> Treasure Planet not making its budget back. What the fuck? Yeah, Absolutely Brother bizarre. Bear making five times its budget. What the fuck? And it was Brother Bear! Movie. Ugh. Uh, how much did Bolt make? Do we remember that? 310 million. 310. All right. Um, I feel like to get the narrative that this had of being a failure, it's probably a bit less than Bolt. Um, I don't, uh, I don't think it's an actual failure. I think that's just going to be a narrative. As it turns out, you are correct. This made two hundred and seventy-one million. Oh! So it cost about forty less than Bolt, and it I brought give in myself full marks for that. Yeah, about forty less than Bolt. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um. So this was as successful as as the previous thing. Pretty much. Cool. And that's accounting for getting the band back together. So they'll probably keep making them, right? Critical reception was also interesting. Let mm -hmm. me read to you a quote. No 3D, no glasses, no extra ticket charge, no frantic frenzies of meaningless action, and good gravy, a story, characters, a plot. This is what classic animation once was like. <laughs> Somebody was very cross about the last 10 years. No 3D, no glasses. Think about that. In 2009, we were going to movie theaters and we were paying for an extra pair of glasses. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we weren't. I mean, we did a couple of times. <laughs> like once. Yeah, and I hated it, and that's part of why we didn't do it, because I had to wear glasses on my glasses. <laughs> yeah, and I can't see 3D properly, because one of my eyes is crushed. So, um, yeah. you know, fuck 3D, I'm I'm glad that it's not the all-purpose gimmick anymore, but... But just think about that, there was that period where movies were doing that! Yeah, it was kind of just expected at this point, or at least for like, you know budget-filled, crowd-pleaser kind of movies. Mm -hmm. It definitely wasn't every movie. Uh, that was Roger Ebert, by the way. I assume Bolt was uh, produced in 3D for... Uh, in glasses-based 3D, let's say that. God, it's so annoying to have to differentiate between 3D animation and 3D 
presentation. Visual. Yeah. Stereoscopic 3D, that's the correct way to call it. Ebert did go on to say that the movie inspires memories of Disney's golden age it doesn't quite live up to, as I've said, but it's sprightly and high-spirited and will allow kids to enjoy it without visually assaulting them. And you know what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's totally fair. That's almost exactly our opinion. This is, like, the least good movie from the good period of the Disney Renaissance. Mm. Just swap Hercules out for this. <laughs> if this had, uh, you know, if this had been their, their 2001 movie, then we would have just been like, cool, cool, we're just going to proceed as normal. They're still good at this, don't worry. Well, that would They're be a little shaky on Hercules, but they righted the ship, and they got rid of Phil Collins, and we're back on track. That would be replacing <laughs> Lilo and Stitch. Oh shit, 2002 then. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, not, I'm not trying to dunk on that. It's just, I, yeah. If they'd made this instead of Dinosaur, how's yeah. that? Yeah. Which, again, it's it's so wild. Dinosaur was also made by them pulling together a studio out of nothing. <laughs> yeah. But that was a new band. The Princess and the... A different reviewer said, The Princess and the Frog breaks the color barrier for Disney princesses, but is a throwback to traditional animation, and her story is a retread. Which, not untrue. Th- those are good things. Like, yeah. Um, Scott Founders at the Village Voice said, the movie as a whole never approached the wit, cleverness, and storytelling brio of the story studio's early 90s animation renaissance of Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King, or pretty much anything by Pixar. And <laughs> this is better than Beauty and the Beast, man. I have to, dr- have to disagree with the anything by Pixar part of that sentence. Don't get me wrong. This, this movie still likes kings about as much as Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> but... Uh... I don't know. I feel like Beauty and the Beast is neither here nor there on the subject of kings. Now, The Lion King, it's very pro-king. Betsy Sharkey, formerly of the Los Angeles Times, gave the film a positive review, claiming, With The Princess and the Frog, they've gotten just about everything right. The dialogue is fresh, prince, clever. Yikes. The themes are ageless, the rhythms are riotous, and the return to primal animation style is beautifully executed. So, you did exactly what I wanted, which is to provide the yikes at the exact right moment. <laughs> I, maybe she's actually saying it's as clever as the writing in Fresh Prince? Maybe. I don't maybe know Fresh Prince. Maybe that's the idea. But, uh... Odd, odd invocation, yes. It just sounds like you referenced the one black thing you knew was popular at the time. Well, was popular was with saying. white people at the time. Sorry. 15 years prior to the time. Wow, it's, yeah, oh, it was a 90s thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, that's not fresh at all. Review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes reports the film has an 85% approval rating with an average rating of 7.4. The site's general consensus is that the warmth of traditional Disney animation makes this occasionally lightweight fairy tale update a lively and captivating confection for the holidays. (laughs) It is by and large regarded positively. It made money. And yet there was always a lot of people willing to talk shit about like, you know, how it wasn't quite as good. I mean... Okay, look. Like we did. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't think it's really talking shit, but I have to agree that it's not quite as good. That's got nothing to do with it being uh, about black people. Definitely not. I'd say it's probably got a lot more to do with it coming off the tail end of Disney not being able to find their ass with both hands for a while and not understanding how they're going to to reconcile classic Disney with modern Disney. Like, not understanding how they're going to reconcile classic Disney with modern... Well, not understanding how they're going to turn classic Disney into modern Disney and just, like, pretend that horrible shit like Chicken Little never happened. Yeah. Because in retrospect, you can absolutely see this laying the groundwork 
for the string of massively successful 3D princess movies that came after it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, ah, that's that. You're gonna you're gonna do a fairy tale, but you're definitely gonna throw some twists in. You're going to go out of your way to make a protagonist who is still extremely Disney princessy, but is also uh, you know, moderny, updatey. You definitely can't say she's a sexist stereotype Disney princessy. Like it's it's got all the ingredients. <laughs> I wish they'd get the two D. Don't worry, there's still more two D movie to come. <laughs> you say that. <laughs> oh, you say that, but I already know what the last one is. But. That's it. That's the last Disney movie of the 2000s, as it were. The next movie that comes out is in 2010. Oh. Ah, sorry. There was this weird time gap in my brain because you described it as the last movie of the 2000s. And then you said 2010 and I was like, there was a 10 year gap? That seems right. That's not what he said, <laughs> Fox. It's not. Oh my God. The first movie of the 2010s, though, is what comes up next. Do we, do we go straight into Tangled from this? Surely not. We do. We do. Wow. So very directly laying the, the groundwork for the new version of a Disney princess movie. Uh-huh. Here we go. It's, it's the second renaissance. <laughs> 